0: Hello and welcome to another edition of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Jay Wilmington here, joined once again by Julian Bravo. Julian, how are you, sir? Uh,
1: I am well. I wish I could say it was under better circumstances for the club itself, but other than the uh, recent run of results, I am well. Yeah, Julian, exactly. We It's been just a
0: little bit of time since we've had a chance to jump on a podcast here together. and. Kind of not a whole lot has happened positively for Chelsea since since we last spoke kind of a kind of a tough run of matches both in opponents that we had, but then I think you know particularly in sort of run of results leading in here to the to the world Cup uh, but you know following uh Chelsea's uh last win going all the way back in the league to Aston Villa the October 16th it's been kind of rough, Julian It was a nil nil draw with Brentford and then a draw with Manchester United. And, you know, we had a couple of wins in the Champions League, but, you know, against some competition, probably we'd be, you know, somewhat heavily favored over. We lost big time to Brighton 4-1, and then Arsenal, uh, you know, 1-0. And then, you know, I don't know how you feel about the F L Cup match, but again, couldn't find any change of fortune there, losing to, to Man City 2-0. So, Julian, just kind of, you know, that, that kind of sets the table for where we're at, and, and you know how how do you feel obviously probably not super positive but just kind of what are your general feelings having watched this last handful of of matches from Chelsea
1: the last time we did talk it was so positive we were coming off of a bunch of victories we were looking good doing so we had some of the most potent attack we'd seen in quite a while and There was a part of me that was still hesitant to buy into it fully because there was no justification for how our team went from being completely incompetent in the attack to all of a sudden being one of the most attack-minded and successful in the attacking third teams in not just the league but in the entire world something had to give surely we were not as good as we had kind of performed in those results and the thing you always do have to worry about is the managerial bump and we got so good so quick that I couldn't help but have a little bit of caution into how this might translate from this point going forward. There was no way we could keep up that momentum and pace for the rest of the season. And I think when the results first started to dip, you could maybe make an excuse here or there. There was a justification for a couple of these games. But as things have continued, you've really begun to notice just how many deficiencies there are within the squad itself. So going forward, it kind of reminds me of what we said in the preseason. There are a lot of gaps and holes in this team that need to be filled. They weren't filled when we had the opportunity, and I think we're really starting to see that show now.
0: To your point, Julian, just two goals in the last five league matches for Chelsea. And uh, excuse me, I think that was four league matches, and I threw the Man City 2-0 uh, defeat in the EFL Cup in there. But, so, you know, to your point, just a team that had found a kind of a, a vein of form, at least on the attacking side, kind of reverts to where we've been for so much of the last few years where we're really struggling, you know, to finish chances. But but one thing for me, I think, is like not just being wasteful, like not even being wasteful, not even creating hardly anything to speak of. And again, you know, I, I think between, you know, uh, Newcastle, Arsenal, um, um, you know, Man City, united to some degree like these this is good competition but not <laughs> certainly not competition that Chelsea should be just absolutely unable to create any any form of chances against and and you know even if that's going to be the case and you're going to play some some really negative style of football you know you'd, you'd expect to basically never give up any chances and I don't think you know that's really the case at all though they only gave up you know a single goal to Arsenal and, and Newcastle each who are who are good attacking side so you know again just i think that confirms julian which what, you, what you're talking about is that you know kind of this this attack suddenly disappeared after after fighting something there that was working for at least a short amount of time and i think we've seen that a little bit you know over the years and i i think that for me um you know, is actually maybe one of the reasons we can talk what we think this break will do, uh, this unusual World Cup break will do for the season. But but maybe that's one hopeful for Chelsea that, you know, just a good time to kind of create a, a pause in in this momentum going the wrong way. You know, you know, what are your thoughts here? Just as you experience this, I think from being a Chelsea fan in in years past. You know we're so familiar with managers in particular having a lot of support but knowing that like no matter how rosy things are you're you're like a one bad month and a half away from really genuinely wondering whether or not your manager is going to be there the next match and so you know this is that kind of kind of run of form and I think that you know with Grand Potter being so recently hired that that creates one thing that you're going to give him some time regardless but. But how do you feel? Do you feel any different? Or or for me, I, I find it hard to know how to feel with this whole new um, ownership group in kind of having this really difficult stretch for kind of the first time um, in their, well, at least in, in, you know, with their new man and, and completely in charge and overseeing everything.
1: I'm not entirely sure how to feel, but that's the sentiment I had when we first brought on Graham Potter. And I do want this on the record that. Both things can be true. Graham Potter can maybe not be the ideal manager, and I'm not saying that he's not the ideal manager, but at the same time that we needed to make a transition from Tuchel because I definitely felt that that was something that needed to happen. And if there's something I'm saying from maybe the ownership group, it's they waited to let Tuchel go until after the transfer window. So that way, if there was any sort of blame, you could kind of shift it to him and say, hey, we weren't able to build the team that Grant Potter wants. We need to give him time for this to work out because I do believe he's the guy that they've wanted since they first took over. And it seems like they are going to back him. Obviously, I have no reason that that might be true or to necessarily believe it. It's maybe what I'm kind of hoping for because I'll be honest, the last couple of matches that I've seen from the club, it hasn't inspired the most amount of confidence in our manager currently, but I am willing to give him a break in the same way that you should give pretty much any manager that is still really new to a club that sort of break. He doesn't have the players. He's been trying to experiment with things, and there are some positives you do have to give him, but I can't imagine that the ownership is maybe too concerned with his performances yet. However, if this continues, even with the adjustments that they're giving him any sort of backing that they give him, obviously there's going to be huge concern that they might've made a mistake, not necessarily in our eyes, but perhaps in theirs.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting that, you know, when the hire was made, certainly there was a lot of conversation about this being a long-term hire Um, and, and, you know, it's really nice when you get immediate positive results right out of the gate. But I think that really quickly changed the conversation in a lot of ways to just like that, that long-term part of the conversation kind of got put on the back burner because don't worry about it. We're doing great right now and it's only going to go, you know, the long-term vision is one thing, but we don't need to wait. And, and I think that again, that's, that'd be nice. And hopefully we'll get back to some of that. But I do think that, it not that it did disservice to the conversation, but it, it did change people's conversation from knowing that Grand Potter wasn't necessarily here to create a, an immediate change in results and that we might have to undergo some more difficult times. And this might not be sort of the classic Abramovich era, like um, EKG, like trying to bolt the heart attack patient back to life. I think that we really you know, this was, this is like, we're going to try to actually fix the, the skeleton within here and it's going to take some time because there's a lot of decay going on, um, you know. So I, so some more Confidence, I think, from Todd Bowley and Clear Lake Capital just in today, yesterday, kind of coming out and putting at least a little bit publicly that, yeah, we're not having any um, loss of confidence in Graham Potter, and this is still, you know, this is what we're doing for the long term. Um, obviously, those things, those questions get harder and harder to answer the longer this goes on, and the worst that the season is, you know, it's one thing to finish sixth, it's another to finish twelfth or something like that, but I think i agree and i hope that like look we've kind of committed to this so this is kind of the game plan and especially when you commit to a long-term game plan if you then start getting cold feet or anxious i guess that that it's not working in the short term and you you pull the ripcord then you know what chance would you ever have something to work in a long-term vision if it wasn't immediately very successful so Um, you know, I think that's still so far, I haven't seen anything out of the ownership group to suggest that they're going to veer off course. But I, I think that, you know, I, I, it just, (laughs) there's still a part of me that watched it for so many years that it's, I just can't help but be like, are we, are we gonna just wake up to our jaws being dropped that, you know, they're not so sure anymore,
1: but, uh,
0: yeah, I don't see it so far anyway.
1: I think a lot of us bought into the fool's gold because it's unfortunate that maybe Potter did have the early success and a lot of us thought, okay, well we are ready to compete. We were. I think I even said that my expectations for the club have definitely risen with the performance we we had had, especially that three nil victory over Milan. And that one's actually kind of out of place. Like that's a match that. Up to that point, we didn't look like that club or a club capable of that type of performance to the season. If you flipped our results, if you would have had the same results that we had just in reverse order, so our loss to Newcastle, our loss to Manchester City, our loss to Arsenal, going up to AC Milan, then it would look like progress in the right direction and we'd be very happy with the direction of the club especially with Graham Potter in charge right now so I think it's kind of playing against him that he had that initial early success and we can't seem to find that same sustained success at this moment I I have some theories as to what I think has gone wrong obviously a lot of people are going to point towards injuries and uh, point towards some issues within squad depth as well but at the same time he has made a couple of mistakes there have been some a lot of chopping and changes within the team itself too that can leave some question marks here and there but i i think the biggest thing right now that's kind of have that kind of has people down in general is the performances started out too good we were buying into a lot of fool's gold and because the results have dried up since now we're starting to see that okay maybe there's an issue maybe there was something wrong when there was always an issue to be honest
0: And one of the problems that no matter who comes in to lead Chelsea, that seems like they're going to have until there's a pretty major roster overhaul. It's just like, you've got so many, like so many cars in this garage and they're all fine. But like trying to kind of like eliminate choices and just get down to your core group and kind of sticking to one plan. I, I understand in part why it's hard because you have a lot of players, a lot of personalities. And I think Graham Potter has spoken well Uh, about being a very much of a people manager and that being a key to a lot of his success uh, and and really getting to know players as people and finding out what makes them tick and being able to, you know, uh, kind of have real relationships in that way. And so I can only imagine a person like that, uh, you know, sure. I guess you can just come in and tell Hakeem Ziesh and, and and I, you know, I just say him as an example. There's a ton of guys that say, okay, like you're benched. See, but like, there's locker room dynamics. There's like actual, a big group of people to manage and, and it on top of having to come in and make the tactical decisions, it, it does have to be hard. And then you throw in all of the unexpected injuries. You know, I guess part of that's just like, yeah, well, welcome to the life of a, of a top level manager. Uh, but, but I do think there's just, there's a lot of balls to juggle right now for Graham Potter. And I think, we see a lot of that reflected here. Um, I, you brought up the injuries, and again, I think this is something that's just front and center of every team conversation right now. It's it's going to be a big conversation heading into the World Cup, during the World Cup, coming back from the World Cup, depending on who who's healthy there. But, you know, whether it's countries that won't have many key players from being injured in league play or, you know, the turnaround when we get back from the World Cup, it, it, ugh, it's just like... Man, there's so many different things that I'm not a big fan of about this upcoming World Cup, but it's it, it just have having already are going to have such a huge impact. And, um, you know, Chelsea do, Chelsea have had a bad run of, of injuries, but I think the one, obviously, that stands out so much is Reese James. And Julian, you know, his injury also really coincides with this tremendous change in form. Um, obviously, not a huge surprise. He's our best player, but, you know, is, does he... Is this really how much impact Reese James has on our first team?
1: And every Chelsea supporter, in theory, should be a massive supporter of Reese James. He is a phenomenal and incredible player. But I used to give, this is what I say, when it comes to managers that I might not be the biggest fan of, and Tuchel was an example of that, I was more inclined to give them a pass. So I was more inclined to give him a pass for player injuries than I am to a manager that I might like a little more. And that's kind of what i'm looking at with potter right here is yes reese james is important yes he matters so much but you in theory should be a very good tactician you should be a very good manager you need to be able to overcome an injury you should not be reliant on a singular player so reese james being out for any period of time should not impact the club as much as it does and it is a testament to him but at the same time it is a criticism of our manager because yes As Azpilicueta, or whoever we put out there, is going to be a drop-off from Reese James, but you need to be able to find a solution to this problem. And that's what he was brought in to do, was find solutions to these problems. So whether it be a change in formation, tactics, system, whatever it is, we need to be able to overcome losing a player like that. So there's some criticism curled towards Potter, but it comes from a place of believing in him, believing that he's capable of doing better.
0: Well, and it's a little bit ironic to me just that like it wasn't that long ago that we were cons- consistently playing Reese James at right center back and kind of neutralizing his ability to really really have an impact at least going forward and that's where we're talking about having so many woes as a as a team consistently and then of course like now he's like the best right back in in maybe in football but at least you know in, in England and he's like the absolute first name on the team sheet for Chelsea. But but again, like, it's not like he's been stuck in at that right spot no matter what for the last four years. This team's done a lot without him in that spot. So you would hope that they could cope, you know, to your point, a little bit better maybe than they have. Um, you know, I, but again, I feel like a broken record because we've been here, insert different names, but, you know, you start looking actually at the attack and it's like Aubameyang, Sterling, Havertz, uh you know, Mason Mount hasn't scored a ton of goals as of late. I, you know, it, once again, you're talking about a lot of players that you know have a lot of um, talent and ability to score goals and that have scored goals. But, you know, take take Raheem Sterling. You've you've brought it up many times as not being sure that this is the guy that's going to come bring 20 goals to Chelsea. But, um, I, you know, what do you think that there's something that can be done here sort of in the short term coming back from this World Cup to try to – to you know turn things around a little bit i guess the reason i feel a little discouraged especially is just again like the the attacking intent particularly against opponents like arsenal and newcastle um like do we even have a shot on target in those matches i it just maybe one and so that I guess is the is what's stunning to me is like it's it's one thing to be really wasteful of of creative chances, but to just never even come close to creating anything that seems like well, how is this gonna get better as it stands?
1: And that is something that's been extremely disheartening. Is Broja played? I would say he worked his socks off in that last game. He was running nonstop throughout the entire game, and at no point did he ever have a real chance. I think he had one shot on target, but it was a weak shot that was never going to score that's unfortunately kind of been our attack for a long time our strikers or forwards can often be a little isolated and on their own and my big complaint is that we haven't had the right supply coming from the midfield and that was my biggest criticism of them going into the season was we didn't fill that void and I don't think that this is going to be any sort of change I don't think we have any sort of solution because we're still lacking in that area There isn't the connect from our midfields to get the ball forward. And unfortunately, right now we're seeing the worst of both worlds. Our midfield doesn't have the supply and whatever supply is given to our more forward players they're on an island. They're not finding the same quick passes and interplay with each other that they were when Potter first took over. So there are a lot of issues in both facets. And that's not even to mention the fact that our defense has been a lot more leaky, too. So all three phases of the game have been worse with more time. And the attack is not even necessarily our biggest problem. If anything, it could be our third biggest issue. And we're not even scoring goals.
0: And that's what's so interesting to me about this conversation, even as we're having it, because, you know, again, we're I, you know, I'm acknowledging that sort of, you know, the long-term plan is sort of what we're really going for here. And I think, you know, again, multiple things can be true that we look really bad right now. We've sort of dipped in, in not only in form, but also in just like, uh, yeah, like you said, we're simultaneously less effective going forward and also protecting our back line. And so, yeah, that's, that's not much good to see there. Um, and we're going to talk about all of this, obviously, as fans on, on the match-to-match basis. But, you know, I, I guess that's what I'm trying to think through myself here is, is what, what can I be looking for as the, you know, indications of, of positivity, even, you know, if you're going to accept like, hey, we're not going to compete for the top four probably this season, then what can we be looking for as fans to kind of be, you know, hopeful and seeing signs of progress? I think to me, one of those would be seeing, you know... Uh, um cohesion, or seeing, you know, like, to some at uh, to some degree, like, what's the point once you're not going to finish in the top four, and maybe not the top six, but you're also not probably going to get fired, what's like, what's the point of playing some of these guys that are veterans that don't probably have a lot of future with the club, do you at some point just like, I mean, d- does Lewis Hall become a guy who just gets a lot of appearances, and are there, uh, you know, at some point it's like, almost like, recall Colwell, like do whatever you have to to just start moving forward with the future because if that's what we're all agreeing this is um you know it's interesting to me like obviously you you can't just tell a whole group of veteran stars like we're we're moving to the future
1: but like if that's what we're doing here like let's get on with it yeah yes and i think there's The last three matches i want to discuss very briefly because i think it does go along with your point so when it comes to brighton and when it comes to newcastle both teams just looked up for it more than we were they were just playing more passionate football like they wanted to win those matches especially brighton but then we look at that third game and that was that arsenal game and it's really frustrating from a lot of chelsea fans perspectives to look at arsenal right now and Unfortunately, begrudgingly admit that that's kind of the model that we've been wanting to go for because Arsenal made that transition, they made that change where they said, okay, these old players, ironically, Obama Yang, one of them, I will say older players, we're going to move on from you and we're going to work with the talents that we do have. We're going to give these young players a chance. We're going to sacrifice a season or two, but it is going to be worth it in the long term and that's kind of what you're pointing at right now and that's what frustrated me so much about this transfer window was we were purchasing so many stop gaps and i hate the term stop gaps and i hate purchasing stopgap players because i think it's the worst thing you can do for your club and after a little bit of nice form when potter first took over obama yang hasn't really performed well i mean granted not a lot of players in the club have but We're also looking at other parts of the pitch, and Koulibaly is the one that, if you're going to get me started, it's the one that frustrates me the most because I said from the start of the season, it felt like a downgrade from Rudiger. We weren't paying a player that we knew was performing well, one of our better players in the squad, for a player that a lot of people were high on, but it was pretty early on that you could tell he was not to the same level and he has really struggled and he's on the older side of things and he's not going to get better and there are a lot of players in this team that aren't going to get better and we're kind of left in limbo now with a bunch of players we either have contracts for signed for a long period of time that don't really play in our future we're not capable of competing right now and we really didn't do anything we didn't progress this club and i said at the start of the season i feel like this squad is worse now than it was last season and i don't think that there are too many people that would argue with me about that
0: yeah i think that's fair i also think and, and chelsea is really not in any different position than anyone else in the league i suppose with you know match congestion and and like potential injuries but i also i do think these stretches in time in the calendar where your your match congestion is so much and again you know, we we talked about it at the top of the pod that you know we have it's been like less than a month since we've spoken yet there's like endless number of matches that have happened in that time. And you're like, it was like four weeks. Shouldn't there be like three or four matches to talk about? And it's, it's like almost more than double that. So, um, you know, the, the, when things get a little rickety, I think it does get really hard to sort of like rein it in in a hurry because, A, you have, you're have you just moving match to match. You're dealing with fatigue. And if you get your lineup selections a little bit wrong, it almost sort of like puts you in a bad spot for the next match too because now you've got on top of – maybe you didn't get it right the last time. Now you have, you know, hey, this guy played two, two, two three days ago. I kind of can't give him more than 45, 60 minutes out here today – um, and, and suddenly like you, you're, you're, you don't have your full deck to take from not only to injuries, but due to your own sort of selection issues. So I, you know, again, I, that's just part of managing it, but I, you start, you see sometimes where when in these, in this tight match congestion, t- things go a little, little wrong. And there's a big swerve in form because it's really hard to correct course when you don't have any time to actually talk about or change things. You're just trying to hope that selection alone sort of cures the issue and i think we can all see like there's deeper issues that we need to need to kind of address i i I agree with you particularly man about newcastle like going going to that place right now and having to try to win a win a match the the it's so electric i mean i've listened to even matches on the radio uh there this year or whether it's on tv but you you know they talk about it every time that there's Um, a broadcast team there like holy cow we've been coming here for the last decade and and this is just absolutely what it used to be like at Newcastle so you know St. James Stadium alone like I'm not you know one nil loss there is nothing to to really be ashamed at or hang your head about it just kind of you know when it's stacked along this run of of matches where particularly we've just created so little going forward it, it it just starts to feel um, like, man, we could watch a lot of hours of this team play and really never get too excited that they were ever going to put one in the back of the net. And I just, you know, there's times I think as a fan, or at least I know as a Chelsea fan, <clears throat> where it can feel like that for, for sometimes long stretches of time. Um, You know, because we are getting to this, to this World Cup break, I think, you know, it, it's bizarre to me, obviously. I mean, I've been trying to... Exp- you know, compare it to other sports, which which there isn't really a good way. Trying to talk about, you know, it's so unusual to have a this whole club season interrupted at the halfway point for such a major international competition that's literally gonna just like I, I don't I don't know. I just it, it, it they talked about it going into this season, like how much you have to even almost put an asterisk on this season and the table at the end of the year because it's so much of an outlier compared to what every other season has been from a scheduling perspective, um, you know, both with match congestion and then like where the season starts and ends, and I, I don't know, so many different things, Julian. Um, there, on top of that, of course, there's the all the socio political <laughs> issues about where it's being held and all the corruption. I I hate to talk about FIFA and UEFA just because it kind of gets me again. It gets me wound up. Right. But from a Chelsea perspective, you know we've got a few players going. Raheem Sterling's going. Connor Gallagher. I think that's obviously a really big deal for the player. I think for me, you know, um, uh, Mason Mount, of course, as well. And then at least for England. And then you know we'll, we'll have a bunch of other players gone. I, I think. The big news for me is that Reese James won't be. I know he was personally disappointed, but Julian, you've got to be excited. I assume that he's staying, uh, staying home, and not going to be risking further injury and playing, you know, with, without enough time to recover.
1: Well, I'm Chelsea, first and foremost, uh, club over country for me. So that's why any player that does not participate, I do enjoy watching them. And that's typically the thing I do when I'm watching any sort of international competition is to cheer for the Chelsea players, hope that they do well and obviously hope for no injuries. So in that sense, I'm happy. I would have loved to have seen him play. It's actually such a joy to watch him play, especially, uh, well, if teams are performing better so i'm disappointed for him i won't act like i'm not obviously i want him to get better first i want every player to be as fit as they can be for the season going forward i just i know some players care a little bit more about the international competition like especially the english players you can tell that there's a little bit extra passion that they have for the country so um I don't think I have too much to say on it, honestly. I hope he comes back as fit as possible, and I hope he can sustain a long period of not having any injuries.
0: In my mind, I envision, you know, the hopeful side of this coin being like, we come back from the World Cup, and Reese James is ready to go, and Wesley Fafon is getting close, and we didn't pick up any more injuries at the World Cup. Of course, that's, you know, there's another alternative where we you know, Mason Mount gets hurt at the World Cup and so does, you know, Jorginho or whatever. I mean, mean, hopefully, again, it's like this isn't just going to add to it, but, you know, they're going to be playing a fair number of matches again, and these are going to be, you know, what I assume will be high-level intense matches, although we'll see how much sort of the fatigue of these league seasons, uh, you know, impacts the quality of play of the World Cup itself. I don't know, maybe it'll be higher level of play because they are all in form and playing in their seasons rather than sort of, you know, Uh, playing sparingly and and getting preparing with international teams for the world cup we'll, we'll see. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about, I think, I think this roster looking at it, this squad and kind of, you know, again, look, looking forward for Chelsea and, you know, we, we, do you think that there'll be, do you expect any business at all to, to be done in January? I think that's another thing. There's always so much like people are frustrated that it didn't get done in the summer there's an immediate understanding after watching a month or, or so, or you know, by this point, a lot more than that. But it doesn't take long to sort of feel like, okay, this is the needs of this team, and everybody gets really excited about January. Of course, the business that actually gets done is usually very limited, and nobody's interested in you know selling key players. So um, that being said, I man sure hear a lot, particularly about potentially you know players maybe departing. Do you expect anything to really get done for Chelsea in January?
1: actually yes and i think the main reason for that is our owner hasn't been shy at spending a lot of money and we do have a manager now a brand new manager that's something we still need to keep in mind that probably has some ideas and things that he would like to have done we clearly need a lot of help at a lot of positions too so i would be surprised if we didn't spend at least a little frivolously i can imagine Maybe a couple of signings coming in and I would hope that we might be able to find a way to get some players out that aren't you know, regular performers that aren't getting a whole lot of minutes because we really need we've needed to make a transition from this for this club for a very long time and. I hate to say it in the same way Arsenal had. We have so many players that we just need to start moving on. And the sooner we can get that done, the better. We can't just start bringing in players without getting some other ones out. Even if they are on loans, that's at least a step in the right direction because we need a lot of help from players that, well, we don't have in the squad right now.
0: Yeah, and, I, you know, doesn't it sound like something we've talked about for a long time? And, of course, and and we've spent so much money since we started saying that. And, again, I think the hope here is that, like, yeah, but this time Grand Potter is hopefully going to be here for a few transfer windows um, so that, you know, we can't – it's so hard to build a staircase when you – you know, you hire a new builder after every step and he has to kind of start over. I guess that's a terrible analogy because anybody could follow a staircase. But you get what I'm what I'm trying to say here. Like it's so hard to build something when you're just starting over all the time. And so, you know, I guess maybe there's the hope, but it does oh man, it's just like, golly, I feel like deja vu all over again as Yogi Berra would say, to to be sitting here talking about how we have so much work to be done from a squad building perspective. But I think outside of just the general part of that one of the things I look at here you know I, I think it, it's we have we have a lot of talent and I don't think so many of these players that we need to move on from are, are just bad players so to speak but I think we do have a lot of players that 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 are pretty specialized and don't really fit what we're trying to do. And I don't think that they fit what, what Graham Potter is going to want to try to do either. I think, you know, Ziesh, an example of that, a player who's just insanely talented and has one of the best left, left feet in football, but just like, there's so much going on in a pitch that he sort of, doesn't do that there's a lot exposed and so you know he has to be pretty consistent performing the things he does and you have to give him a lot of you know it's like in basketball like a high usage point guard like you have to just run everything through him I think Pulisic is a little that way like I don't think he's a bad player I think there's times that Chelsea puts him into a match when they're having a really difficult time creating anything and he's such an individual player that he's great at drawing fouls and and getting set pieces, even maybe a penalty, you know, maybe even that one moment of magic like he had against Liverpool a few years, where he beats three players and scores himself. Um, I think for like the American team at this World Cup, we'll see how how that's exactly what that team needs. They need a guy who's really going to be the focal point when they just are surra- He's surrounded by a bunch of like good but not great talent but it i you know that's not a player that in a that that like trying to have i think about like Manchester City or or Liverpool i don't see these guys fitting in there at all cuz they're not going to fit into any system very well or at least not a system that's highly based around their skill set and i think we have other players like that i i'm warming a little to the flexibility of Jorginho i still think because he has there there are things that he's so limited at athletically that he does sort of sh- you know, insist some of the other lineup selections around him, but at least I don't think that he's a player that, you know, I think he, we've seen him play for different managers under different styles and still be pretty key to all of that, uh, you know, so so maybe that's not completely fair. But but I think even, you know, we've talked about some of these, man, our, our defense, we have a lot of maybe talented and like, experienced defenders um, but guys that just athletically are or are, are kind of past it like cool and and you know Lord love Tiago Silva but obviously they're really trying to protect him right now um, I think it's why Trevor Chaloba has been able to really really step up and be so impressive because he's so much younger and more athletic and can keep up with some of the you know intense physical and and speed of the attackers in the in the league so Um, You know, I don't know, even like N'Golo Conte, I think, you know, that's probably a player that as much as a great career he's had at Chelsea probably needs to be moved on. I think Havertz is probably another guy that while I think is very talented, I'm not sure unless you can tell me kind of what the specific plan is for him you know, what what we're going to do with him. We You know you and I have talked about why did Aubameyang ever come into this team? I mean, th- there's just a lot of guys there making a lot of salaries and, more importantly, getting a lot of minutes that are not able to be provided to either going through the growing pains of working through a new system with people who are fully committed to it or just, like, young players that need minutes to get a chance to grow and, like, fill these boots when you hope that they're going to be kind of reliable here you know in the in the next few years so julian i know that's kind of a lot of of different stuff but i mean any you know any of those names i mentioned that you disagree with or anybody you kind of i want to you know specifically add to that list of guys that probably just like don't you know wouldn't would be really nice to kind of see them move towards the next phase of their career
1: One thing I keep thinking about when it comes to the squad makeup is that in theory, we should still have one of the very best squads in the entire league. So, even if they haven't been performing just in terms of a talent perspective we easily have one of the top five best forwards attacking lineups in the premier league same thing with defense in theory we should have one of the top five best uh, set of defenders where we're really lacking still is the midfield and i know some people absolutely love Kovacic, and i know some people absolutely love Jorginho, but this is something we keep coming back to they are specialized players Kovacic maybe may be a little bit more versatile but Jorginho specifically, Conte has not been fit for a very long time. He's not capable of giving a full season anymore, which is unfortunate. But when you factor that in, we, we don't have a top midfield in the league, which is where the deficiencies come. You could make an argument for goalkeepers. That's an entirely different category in itself. But one thing I would really hope that even Jorginho supporters could appreciate and get on board with is if you really want him to extend his career with Chelsea, we need a defensive midfielder. That's something that would help not just the entire team, but it would help Jorginho, too. I feel like he would benefit greatly from a player that provides a lot more defensive cover because, as you mentioned, his athletic ability is very limited. So he would greatly benefit from somebody that takes on a lot more of that share. The reason i was so down on our transfer window i said it was one of the worst transfer windows we ever had was because i only liked one signing we made and that was wesley fafana and unfortunately he was the first one that went down with a long-term injury but as you've mentioned now we're kind of saddled with some players that really in theory won't be here in a couple of years or you would hope that you know we moved on and found some better replacements for those and the two that frustrated me the most and the signings I disliked the most from the start were Yang, which was one I was very unhappy with, and then Koulibaly, who initially I had no problem with. It felt like maybe we were just kind of swapping one player for another. But as the season has worn on, it's become pretty apparent that he's not the player we thought we were getting. There's been a lot of criticism hurled towards him. And what are we going to do? We just spent a lot of money. We're paying him some decent wages for him just to not play. It seems like we already have to replace that hole, too. So there are a ton of gaps everywhere in this team that need to be fixed right now. And you're right. Our attacking players seem to be struggling, and we still don't have a nice combination of players where you could say they deserve a regular spot. Raheem Sterling, I, until you mentioned him, I had actually forgotten that he was in the club because he's been absent for a while. Like He has not performed the same level that he had when he first got at the club. And that was my concern was we buy a lot of players that are in great form when they come to the club. is another example, and they start out in great form, but when the rest of the attacks not working in the same way it had for Manchester City or Inter Milan, their form drops off as well, and you'd never see the best of them again. Unfortunately, that's kind of what's happening with Raheem Sterling. And Raheem Sterling may get a little better, but he, we've seen his prime. Like this is his prime right now we're purchasing too many players for now when this isn't a for now team.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. And again, like if, and their impact has been so minimal too, that it's like, man, even if you're going to spend a lot of money on something that's kind of at peak value, you got to at least get that out of it. You know, you look at sometimes contracts given in, in, in sports that are so obviously front loaded where you're like, We're going to be paying this guy a couple of really way too expensive years at the back end of his salary, but we know he's going to overproduce those, you know, first couple of years when we're making a run. And, you know, in some of these cases, like we haven't even gotten anything at the front end from some of these investments. And I, you know, it's a little bit different when there's almost a bottomless pit of money or it's not quite the same in evening out the books, but still it's frustrating. You know, one other thing for me, I think that just that stands out to me, I, I think we talked about it. There's a lot of individual talent. I think it's hard to look at the team and say, like, what is what does the team do well? I mean, I think you could look at, you know, a lot of times, I'll you know, I'll just take Mourinho as an example, but it's pretty easy watching a Mourinho team or an Antonio Conte team to be like, this is what they do really well. And maybe you'll get frustrated by it, or maybe it'll break down, but you know what you're getting, and you know that the team's going to end up You know, in Conte's case, like working extremely hard, outrunning you, having a certain, you know, extreme commitment to defense and and a counter style of play. And, you know, I, I think we know some of the things that Graham Potter does, but I think looking at our squad, it's like regardless of what tactical approach you chose it would be very hard to find one that you would select and say, okay, now you can do that and take the Chelsea players and fit them in, you know, almost all a la football manager, like, like plug guys into a system. And, and it works pretty good with this group. It's like, you'd have four or five for a lot of different systems. And it'd be really hard to say like this 11 to 16 guys really fits well with what we're doing. I, that's amazing to me with the sheer number of players that we have and the, and the talent selection that we have. But again, I just think it speaks back to the gears of mismanagement and hodgepodge style of managing transfer windows where you're, you know, every one or two or three dealing with another, a different manager wanting to play a different style, directing who you're purchasing and you make like three purchases for them. And then you're starting over, over here. And I guess this is where I should credit Jorginho, you know, going back to, being such a sorry purchase, here we are still talking about a guy that's, you know, very, very been influential to Chelsea and been able to kind of be pretty uh, important through through a bunch of different transitions. Um, you know, again, it's a little hard to kind of fault the players in this regard either because it, it's something that's been kind of happening over time. And just the reality, I mean, we talk about you can recognize the issue that we need to move on from a lot of these players, but we pay them better than almost anyone on earth. And I think what a lot of people don't understand, it's really easy to sit here as a fan and see how much money these guys make and see, Hey, if they made a little less, that would still be so much money. They should be happy with that. But like no human being generally is like, yeah, let me take a big pay cut just because like my employer kind of made a mistake or they're not kind of, you know, they paid me too much or they or they hired me too long. Like that's not really that person's prerogative to solve. And so you just end up in the case of take take you know, you're you maybe Milan, maybe he's going to Tottenham, but there there's just like there's very limited clubs that are gonna step up, particularly and spend significant money on someone who's essentially been an asset that's been deteriorating on the sidelines for the last year or two. Um you know, uh, we used to see it a lot. I think with Chelsea, particularly with Gravlinskaya, that she was an excellent business manager. She really understood valuating assets and when to sell them and when not to. But I, you know, she also was loath to ever take a loss, and so you just saw players sometimes stack up in the in the you know rafters almost of dead wood that we needed to get rid of like almost hoping if they had a good six-month loan spell maybe we could recoup our losses and instead it's like yeah we're just digging a deeper and deeper pit um maybe that won't be something we continue to do going forward but you know i again i guess that's just to add some context as to why you know we can all recognize this problem and how it needs to be addressed but also why like the people who are running these clubs can't snap their fingers and address it because you know they they don't have control to call somebody up and says please call us and spend full value on this player that we can't you know that we're overpaying and he also is going to need to be paid the same or more to come you know move move to your country or whatever it is so um you know i i guess i guess that's for me um julian anything else before we wrap i really you know i think it's a great time to talk to you i definitely want to make sure we also get to talk you know at some point during the during the you know, first couple weeks of the world cup and kind of check, check based on how Chelsea players particularly are doing.
1: Yeah, I should say some positive things because I feel like this has been pretty negative up to this point. There have been some positives I've seen from Potter. I think the biggest is admitting his mistakes. There have been a couple of matches where it was pretty clear that the lineup was wrong and he had no problem making adjustments to fix that. The Manchester United one comes to mind where we looked completely I don't know outplayed in the first 20 minutes or so and then some adjustments actually fixed the team so that's one positive i want to give him. i'm happy that one of my favorite loan players uh, levi colwell is starting to get some playing time with brighton so i hope that that translates i hope that he can have a very successful loan spell and he might be a solution for our defensive issues right now in terms of the long-term. And I believe that this break is actually very beneficial to us because let's be real, this is some of the worst form we've seen in quite a while. So it's coming at a good time. And if it gives us an opportunity to regroup and start strong from this point going forward, then it's a very needed and appreciated break.
0: I agree with you completely. And I also, as another little carrot going into the to the break, it's another great time for people listening to follow the Chelsea women They're going to be playing. They're on an international break right now, but they'll be playing matches throughout this World Cup and uh, excitingly beat PSG in, in France in the Champions League group stage. Of course, PSG being one of the couple of just you know, pillars of women's football in the club world. So, um, you know, we're going to have some podcast activity about, about Chelsea. Women we will also have some updates here on the podcast to talk about just this kind of updates on Chelsea players in the World Cup and other team news as well. Uh, but until next time, Julian, thank you, sir. And we'll join you again on We Ain't Got No Podcast.